Hi there. Welcome to the Product Experience Podcast. So this is the place where you get to hear inspiring tales and advice from product people across the world. Um, My name is Lily Smith. And I'm Randy Silver. We're all about interviewing product people that have been recommended by the global product tank community. Why? Because they've had an inspiring story to tell or shared some great advice. By the way, this week, Lily and I will both be at MTP Engage in Manchester. If you're there, come find us and say hi. Yes, please do. That would be great. And also, occasionally, Randy and I get to talk to some product heroes that have graced the Mind the Product conference stage. And last December, the Mind the Product crew invited Randy and I to host the Christmas debate special at Product Tank in London, which was hilarious. (laughs) Um, We were dressed up in Santa cloaks with reindeer headbands and uh, well, I was going to say sparkly, glittery eyes, but I think that might have just been me. Yeah, it was just you. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and there was lots of Twitter activity going on, um, especially when one of the teammates quoted Marty Kagan and he got accused of bringing his dad to the playground. <laughs> and then we got a tweet from Ken Norton. Yes, we got a tweet from Ken Norton. Yeah, Ken did one of my favorite ever talks a few years ago at Mind the Product in London. Uh, He was reminding us that it takes the same amount of effort to do something 10% better or 10x better. And he did the math behind why it doesn't matter if you fail most of the time if you can get a real 10x win. You mean maths, No. (laughs) I've lived here a while. You're not getting me to say that. Um, so we got to have a chat with Ken and amongst other things, we talked about how many product managers a company needs, when is the right time to hire and why some companies are finding it hard to hire. And there was loads of other stuff we covered too. We felt like we needed another hour at least, so we may have to have him back. But let's just listen to the interview. So your partner at Google Ventures, can you tell us a little bit about what Google Ventures does and specifically a bit more about your role there? Well, sure. I, uh, so we, we, we fancy ourselves GV now, uh, and we're a, a venture capital firm. Uh, we are like a lot of other uh, VC firms in that we invest in companies that uh, we hope will change the world and we hope will do interesting things and ultimately uh, return capital to, to our parent and to our sole limited partner, which is, which is Alphabet or Google. Um, GV now is about uh, 10 years old. We're actually celebrating our, our 10th anniversary this year. Um, we have about $3.5 billion under management, and that's in, uh, at the moment, something like more than 300 portfolio companies. Uh, and so these are companies that are, you know, tend to be uh, enterprise companies, consumer. We have a pretty vibrant life sciences, healthcare practice, robotics, kind of frontier tech Probably a lot of companies that listeners would would recognize: uh, Slack, Uber, Medium, uh, Stripe, DocuSign, GitLab. Um, and in in many ways, we're we're structured like a, a traditional venture capital firm, but then in, in a lot of other ways, we're different. And one of the ways that we're different is when GV was set up, we really tried to think of investing both kind of Google's expertise and Google's people alongside Google's money. And so we actually have a pretty large group of folks here at GV who are part of what we call our operational teams. Uh, and that includes uh, design, product, engineering, uh, partnerships, talent, uh, marketing, comms. So these are kind of subject area experts that 
work closely with the companies to, to, to help them in whatever way makes the most sense. And that can be anything from, you know, occasional office hours to actually kind of rolling up our sleeves and, 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 and dropping in and helping the company in, in a kind of much more hands-on way. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that makes us, you know, quite a bit different from, from other venture firms and actually is something that I think other firms in the industry have started to, to kind of copy in some ways is that sense of, you know, hey, we've got a group of people who are company builders, who have been operators, many of us, most of us who came from Google, uh, who've done this before, who've learned some lessons, who've, you know, made some mistakes and can kind of come in and and help you in a way that, you know, we hope ultimately help you become more successful, ultimately have a better outcome, ultimately, you know, in turn makes makes money for for our investors and for, for Alphabet. Um, so my role here is, is you know, I do, I do product work. So um, that is, tends to be, um, you know, process, uh, organizational design. Uh, how do we hire? How do we think about the role? How do we think about how the product role intersects with design, with engineering, when to hire, how to scale, uh, how to think about planning? How do you think about roadmaps? How do you think about um, structuring for the future, maintaining scale, maintaining growth? Uh, it's much less of the actual, you know, let me come help you design your product and figure out what your product should do. Because uh, it turns out that is not as not as useful uh, to these companies as more of the kind of more strategic and kind of process and people oriented stuff. So one of the things that came up um, when we first uh, started to talk to you about um, joining us on the podcast was you wanted to talk about how many product managers it takes <laughs> to <laughs> get your business running and when's too many and. Uh, I don't even know if when's not enough was a thing, but it was more like, <laughs> so like what, where did that come about? Is that a problem that you see quite a lot with the businesses that you're working with that people are just taking on too many product managers? I, I think so. I, you know, I've, I've started to see that I, you know, maybe to kind of, you know, put a little bit more context around, you know, kind of how I've seen that evolve, you kind of, you know, look at it from, you know, the, the arc of my career. So I've, I've, I've been doing this for about, you know, more than 25 years now, uh, two thirds of my career has been, you know, in product management. And, you know, when I started as a PM, I don't think anybody really quite understood what the role was or, you know, what it did or why we needed it. Um, you know, there wasn't kind of strong agreement on, you know, what the right background would look like for that type of person, you know, how they fit in with the engineering org. Was it a technical role? Was it not a technical role? And so there was this kind of, you know, immaturity to product management when I started in my career that, you know, it was kind of an undervalued, underappreciated, you know, really a kind of underrepresented type of role. And most of what I was doing, you know, kind of in those early days was convincing people that like we actually needed to be doing this. And that's changed. Uh, and it's, you know, the product management, I think, you know, in, in, in no small part due to, you know, bigger tech companies like Google and, and Facebook, uh, instituted the the profession in a way that people I think truly started to appreciate why it was important. Uh, there was kind of a common vocabulary when we say product manager, I understand what that means. I get how that fits into the, into the org. Um, but you know, it, 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 it also became something that people aspire to do. I think that's, you know, the other difference is, you know, people are in college, they decide, Hey, I'd love to be a product manager. I want to become a product manager. You have a lot of early career folks that are becoming PMs. And so it almost is, 
you know, I don't want to say a victim of our own success, but it's, 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 it's come to the point where it's matured and, and it, and appreciated and almost kind of overvalued or, or, you know, overappreciated to the point where I think people, you know, particularly startups are too eager to hire too many PMs too soon. Uh, and that has created, you know, a second order effect of problems. It's uh, created a, a, a structure of, you know, who's going to manage these folks, who's going to mentor them, how are they going to grow? How are we, you know, are we premature in trying to divide up the product in weird ways just to make sure everybody has something to do? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think a, a, a trend that I've seen certainly here in Silicon Valley, you know, certainly with startups is, you know, a, a desire, I think, to to hire too many too soon. Uh, and, you know, some of the work I do, you know, frankly, is to discourage them from wanting to hire as many as they want to hire as soon as they think they want to hire. Um, and, it, and it's, and it's weird. I mean, and it's, and it's, and it's such a departure, you know, it's like, if you had told me that, you know, 20 years ago, I'd be trying to convince people not to hire as many PMs. I, I probably would have not believed you because at the time I felt like I was spending so much of my effort with the community to convince people that this was a role anybody even needed and, and wanted and, and feeling kind of totally underappreciated. So it's a little bit ironic, but, um, but I think it is important in that, in that balance between, you know, having the right number of people responsible for uh, thinking about the future of the product, managing it, leading the team, um, and and the right number of builders and the right number of product surfaces. It's a really difficult challenge to get that that ratio right, um, and and it's certainly something that I think a lot of startups have struggled with. You touched on a lot of really great stuff there. Uh, let's let's start at the very basics at the beginning. When should a company, I guess, really a startup, when should they hire their first PM? Uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, what I would say is, you know, certainly for the companies that 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 we invest in, um, your, your your founder, you know, one of your founders, your founder is is really the first PM. And, and we like to invest in strong product CEOs um, and strong product leaders. And so, you know, for those early days when that company started, you you are – uh, as the founder, the, the product manager. And it's particularly important that that continue to be the case through, at least through finding product market fit. Because uh, if you are too quick to try to bring in, you know, other PMs before you found product market fit, like, you know, a, a few kind of failure modes can happen. So, so one is you now just have too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, it's just, you know, there's too many different people trying to, to, to share the load, trying to own the product when you don't even, you don't even yet have a product that you've, you've, you've found a market for. Um, that's one outcome. The second outcome is that you, you, you end up handing off product ownership before you've achieved product market fit. And, and, and that's bad if you're the founder and you're the CEO, because it's really your job is to achieve product market fit. Uh, and then I think the third outcome, and this is oftentimes too, is you're hiring a PM, but really you just want them to do kind of the grunt work and, and you just want them to do the, the kind of busy work and the bug tracking or whatever. Well, you're going to go do all the important, you know, what you consider the important product work. Um, and that's bad too, because, you know, nobody wants that job first off. So you're going to hire somebody and they're going to be very sad and frustrated with that job. But also really that is your job as, as the, as the first part, you know, what I call product manager zero is to, to do everything that goes with the job. Um, now, I think the, the companies that where we invest, we typically invest Series A, Series B. So we're investing in companies, you know, after they found product market fit. And so that tends to be about the time when 
they're looking to, you know, bring on additional folks to, to, to be, you know, kind of day-to-day stewards of the product, potentially even a VP of product, uh, depending on the makeup of the company. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's usually about when you'd start to think about it. And, you know, what I counsel CEOs, particularly, you know, these, these product CEOs is, you know, really your team will be telling you when it's time to bring on um, that first PM or that first product leader. And they'll be telling you that because you're starting to slow the product down by nature of all the other things you have to do as the CEO of a growing company. Um, and so you're no longer able to kind of be the day-to-day product leader because you're out raising money, you're out building a sales team, you're out marketing your product. And you know when your engineers and, and your team starts telling you you know, hey, you're you're slowing us down, right? You know, we've we have we have mockups in your inbox that we've been waiting, you know, a week on feedback for. I mean, that's the time when it makes sense to bring in, you know, that that first PM or that second PM or that that first head of product. Um, and and so I think that's one guideline. I think the other thing I would say is it's actually better to have too few. I mean, it's it's better to wait too long, you know, to bring that person in than to bring that person in too early. Um, and, and, and I think that's maybe somewhat of a controversial thing to say, but, but being understaffed in product forces you to make important decisions about what you can and can't do. You know, if you, if you have too many PMs running around writing specs, you know, randomizing engineers, you're not forced to make the tough decisions around what should we be doing? What should we not be doing? Um, and I think that is an important part of product management is realizing that you can't do do everything and being forced to decide what you are going to do. How do you then recognize when you need more? What's what's the decision to say? uh, If if sometimes you can have too many, how do you decide, okay, now's the time I need to pull the trigger and get a second or a third or, you know, N plus one? Great question. Uh, I, I think part of the answer to that is when you know, so I, let me actually say one thing ahead of that, which is I, I'm a strong believer that you should organize product folks around product surfaces, so around the way the product is used by your customers or your end users. And so you should orient your product folks around, you know, let's say you're a two sided marketplace and you've got buyers and sellers, right? You know, that early stage company makes sense to have one PM responsible for the seller experience, one PM responsible for the buyer experience. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a, a single kind of user, a single kind of end to end experience that someone can own. Um, and it's better to align them that way than to say, for example, well, we'll have a web PM and a mobile PM. Um, and so part of what ultimately drives the need to bring in that kind of second, third, fourth person is, when you have kind of a logical way to segment the product that that makes sense to your end users. And so it could be multiple product surfaces. It could be uh, different end-to-end experience. It could be different you know, c- uh, customer segments or enterprise market segments. Um, and so s- oftentimes that starts to kind of force that conversation. And we say, hey, we've got these two big chunks of the product here now. It makes sense to have one person own this and one person own the other. So that that's one guideline. You know, it engineer to PM ratio is sometimes helpful uh, as well, but but you know, ultimately there's not really any kind of golden rule for the right number of engineers to PMs that's going to be universal. 
you know, probably for stable organizations, you know, somewhere in the order of like seven to 12 to one makes the most sense. Um, but you know, in fast growing companies that may be very, you may be hiring engineers faster than you're hiring PMs, but you know, at some point when you look at the organization and you realize you've got more than, you know, 16, 20 engineers to PMs might be the time to start thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we better structure this so that, you know, we have a PM who can, uh, be available to those engineers who can, you know, be up to speed enough on what everybody's doing to actually be useful, to actually be helpful, to actually kind of have control of that product. So, you know, the the growth of of the eng team versus the growth of the PM team is another um, guideline that we like to think about. Um, and then, of course, it, it also you have to talk about well, what what level of experience are we talking about with with these PMs? I mean, you know, you could have a single very experienced PM leading you know, a product that has millions of users and 30 engineers, um, you know, and you, you, you might actually need, you know, several more junior PMs to lead uh, a bunch of different, you know, multiple product surfaces. And so I think part of it too is, you know, what is the level of experience and seniority um, that you're hiring for? And, and that's where I think a lot of startups get tripped up because it's hard to, it's hard to hire PMs uh, of any ilk but it's particularly hard to hire experienced PMs. And so I think a lot of times, you know, startups kind of, you know, give up on, well, it would actually, what would be perfect is somebody who's got a lot of experience who could run this, but, you know, we'll never get that person. It's going to take too long. So let's hire three really junior people to do that instead. Um, and and that's bad. <laughs> do you mean it's hard because there's not enough of those people around or? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because there there aren't very many of them, um, you know, and 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 it's hard to hire PMs in general. Uh, even more hard to hire them, you know, ones that have lots of experience. Even harder to hire ones that have lots of experience at, you know, high profile successful companies that you want to emulate. Mm. Uh, and so I think what ends up happening is it it just takes a long time to fill these roles. And we've seen companies say, well. You know, we weren't able to get that PM out of, you know, Google or Facebook that, you know, has eight years of experience shipping products. So we'll hire, you know, three of these kind of folks who, you know, have one to two years of experience um, because they're more available and, and, and we can get them on. But now you have three people, you know, doing, you know, trying to run what essentially is one person's product you know, mm-hmm. and without, you know, uh, any mentorship, without, you know, any leadership, without anybody that they can learn from and grow from. And so I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things I think that we're seeing is a little bit of a symptom of PM success. So, so now there are a bunch of, you know, young and experienced people who actually want to be PMs. Um, it's hard to find the more experienced ones. And so kind of err on the side of hiring too many, too junior folks without giving them, the ability to be successful without giving them, you know, a structure and organization they can grow from someone they can learn from the mentorship that they'd get, you know, at a, at a bigger, more successful tech company. Yeah. I have so many questions from everything that you just said, but I'm going to start, I'm going to start with, um, my, one of my kind of, um, uh, problems that I have with, with product management as a, as a kind of, as a job or as a, as a title is that it means so many different things um, 
in so many different businesses, whether it's a kind of a startup or, uh, you know, a big enterprise um, and or like, you know, a B2C or a B2B or, a, you, you know, it. Uh, and I wonder whether we're kind of reaching a point where this role needs to be kind of broken down into sort of other roles so that it's clearer sort of what you need and what you're looking for and the the set of skills that you're after because also it's it's slightly dependent on the the team I think as well that you have as to whether you need someone who's um very technical or or kind of um more of a coach or uh more of a user researcher so do, do you think there's a need here to kind of break the role down or do you think it's just uh, and and is that potentially where we're going I mean we have um product owner and then kind of which is you know the, the the scrum role um but then product marketing manager so you know do you think it's going to develop into more of a um defined sort of uh, startup product manager and uh, enterprise product manager and I guess we have the kind of the hierarchical sort of uh, system but you know is there scope there to kind of be more specific within the the actual job title so that people know what they're aiming for or what they're doing and what they're looking for? I think it's a really good question I think there's probably a lot of different ways to answer it I I think on one level you know, there's kind of a, what I see as a common set of characteristics, responsibilities, you know, skills that, that a PM needs to have. I mean, you know, they need to be, they need to be technical, um, you know, and, and that definition of technical could de- highly dependent on the product and team, as you mentioned, um, you need to have good product sensibilities and what I've called product spidey sense. You need to be able to lead with authority. You need to have good communication skills, you need to be able to get stuff done and, and, and cut through the BS. And so I feel like that's the, you know, the, the, the specific recipe for any specific role in any specific company may rely more heavily on one of those and less on the other. Um, so it may be that, you know, if you are going to join Google to work on our machine learning team, uh, to work on developer APIs that, you know, you're going to need to be much, much more technical, uh, mm. than, you know, a, a corresponding PM role at a different company would be. Um, but that doesn't mean that technical capability isn't equally important for both of them. It's just what is the definition of being technical enough to be able to do the job. And so I think, you know, part of what I try to do with the companies, with them and with those candidates is make sure that, you know, the 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 scope and role that we're defining, you know, we're in agreement on exactly what we need, right? Um, and, and, and that's going to be different, right? Enterprise companies have different needs and, and consumer companies have different needs. And I work with lots of life sciences companies and their definition of technical might be you have to have an MD, PhD and have worked in a lab, right? And that's a very different definition of technical than, you know, maybe you were a computer programmer at some, at some point. But, but both of them have a sense of this person has to be technical. Um, so, so I think, you know, I, I feel like we already – we, we're already seeing that, and I think we need to get better at it. Is making sure when you say, "Okay, I need to hire a PM." Well, what you know w- w- of these of these skills of this kind of set of background? What's most important to you, and how does that fit into the team, and how does that fit into the expectations for the role? Let's make sure we match you with the right candidates, so that you know we don't have a situation where you hire somebody and it turns out you value uh, a set of skills that they didn't bring to the table, and they brought a set of skills that turns out aren't as valued. 
now to your question about like whether we'll see the role kind of fragment and specialize, I, I hope not. And the reason I hope not is the reason that product management kind of emerged in the beginning was because there was tremendous value in having one person who can kind of sit in the middle uh, and speak all these different languages. And so to have one person who can, you know, interact with sales and with marketing and with engineers and be technical enough and with the customer and, and, and so much of the benefit, so much of the strength of product management is just really having that intermediary, that one person who can do all those things and, and it, not do all those things better than any of those other people who do those skills can, but to be able to kind of be that universal communicator and that universal translator. And so I worry if we start trying to break it up and specialize is that we'll lose the value of having that one person and either something new who would just emerge to do that again, um, you know, or, or things would start to break down and we kind of look at ourselves and say, you know, we lost something of value, which was having one person who is, who was doing all of these things. Yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, so on that, I, I was thinking more in terms of having a product person who's the kind of, uh, if you like the sort of product market fit stage, um, and then having a product person who's like the, um, I don't know. I just feel like there's kind of, there's different stages of, um, sure. this is development where a certain set of, you know, thinking and skills or, or, you know, a certain, level of experience in a particular stage might be, you know, oh, I'm the product market fit product manager. And <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and I feel like that, you know, we have that. I, you know, I, I know folks who, you know, if you're looking for that first PM, you know, that right when you found product market fit, that's going to take you from, you know, I think we have something that's working, but it's a prototype and I want it to have millions of users or millions of dollars in revenue and be super successful and a hundred person engineering team. I know people that are perfect from going from that first stage to the second stage. They're very different than people that I know who you would bring in to be head of product for, you know, a 10,000 person company. Um, and they're also very different from the people who, you know, want to be part of that founding team and figure out what problem we're going to solve. And so I, I think there, there already are kind of different you know, skills required at different life cycles. And I don't think that one person is probably perfect for all those. Um, and, and again, I think this goes back to, you know, when we talk about product management, we talk about wanting to hire, we talk about what a PM is, let's make sure that we start by talking about exactly what it is we're looking for. Um, because to your point, you know, it, it, it may be, you know, interest in a particular category, maybe a particular stage of the company, it may be more management skills, less management skills, more technical, less technical. So let's let's make sure that we all agree on that before we start kind of matching. This is certainly not one size fits all. You're hitting onto my favorite question to to ask as a candidate for jobs, which is always, uh, what is the problem you're trying to solve with this position? Mm -hmm. Because if they can't answer that, then it just, I mean, it's a, the ultimate product manager question, obviously. But. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a candidate uh, uh company fit. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they can't define that, then uh, I know it's not going to be a good fit. If they can define it, I'll be able to tell really quickly if I think it's a good fit, if I'm a good candidate to, to help them fix that. Uh, they may or may not agree with my assessment, but that's brilliant. I love That's that. a great question. 
so, so uh, something you touched on a little bit earlier, you're talking about uh, the pr- uh, product surfaces and how you can organize uh, product managers uh, across a specific surfaces. But sometimes a customer experience either may touch multiple surfaces mm-hmm. uh, or sometimes something you uh, do in one space is going to have knock-on effects to the engineering and to the, you know, the, the way that the, the product works at a fundamental level. How do you deal with structuring a team uh, or structuring a company so that that level of communication is there, so that people have the right, the teams have the right amount of autonomy and ownership to do what they need to do in their surface, but also are able to collaborate and communicate well across the company? That's a great question. Maybe take a kind of a specific example. So I, I use the you know example of you know you have a, a two sided marketplace. You've got passengers and drivers. You have two product leaders, you know, they're responsible for those two product surfaces. But, you know, you, you probably have, you know, a, a, a backend infrastructure team. You might have an iOS app. You might have an Android app. You might have, you know, a, a web stack. And, you know, those are could be independent engineering groups. And, you know, if both those those product managers want to do something, it probably cuts across some or most or all those different, those different edge layers. And, and so I think this... This speaks to two things. I think one is <laughs> why it's important to not have too many of those PMs <laughs> because, you know, two is hard enough. But if you've now got eight and they're all kind of coming at your engineering team and they're all asking for stuff and, you know, like that, that's a problem. So I think this is goes back to my earlier point around making sure we have the right number of product leaders. Uh, but then, you know, this is where you know, eng leadership comes into play. And, you know, this is in, in part what I kind of see as a, a good function of a, of a strong eng manager is to make sure we have good processes for figuring out, you know, how we prioritize the work, um, you know, how we make sure we reconcile conflicting requests. If you're asking for one thing and another person's asking for something completely the opposite, we'd have a process for figuring to reconcile that. Um, and then to make sure we're working on the right things. And, and, and so I think that in, kind of day-to-day, you know, how are we deciding what to do? How are we managing the team? How are we prioritizing what engineers are working on? You know, that that is an important function that 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 helps with that. And then I think the third point is very good, strong leadership at the top. So this is why a, a big chunk of my time is spent working with CEOs on, you know, how do we make sure the company is focused on the, the, the right thing? And how do we make sure people understand what is a priority? And um, we use objectives of key results at Google. A lot of our portfolio companies use that. So there has to be, you know, from the CEO, a sense of, you know, these are the two to three most important things for us. And, and that doesn't mean that nothing else is important. But when people come at you and are asking you for a bunch of different things, you need a rubric to be able to decide what you're going to work on and what you're going to say no to. And that has to come from the CEO. And so if the CEO isn't setting good, strong, crisp direction for the company, um, it's going to be hard to know, you know, I've just been asked to do 15 different things and I have no idea how to pick. So I'll pick based on who I like, <laughs> who asked most kindly, uh, who asked most recently, like I, I need a, a rubric of, you know, these are the priorities you know, for the company, this is what's most important. Um, you know, and if, and if, if that conversation is happening within the context of, you know, Hey, I've heard the CEO say the most important thing for us to do this quarter is increase engagement. And 
two different people come at me. One person wants a whole bunch of stuff to help sign up new users. Another person wants to work on something that's going to improve engagement. Well, it's going to help me decide how to prioritize those two because I know how to prioritize it in the context of what the company and what ultimately the CEO has decided is most important to us. So I think those three things really have to go together. I mean, there has to be obviously good PMs who, you know, are realistic and 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 understand how to make trade-offs. You have to have good eng leadership. And then I think ultimately you have to have good company leadership. Makes sense. Um, I want to ask you a question about something that you said earlier. So you mentioned um, that a lot of the businesses were struggling to hire those, those kind of um, those more experienced PMs because you want to get like the people who have a ton of experience delivering um, like shipping success, you know, successful products. So products that have delivered um, on their their targets or their objectives um, and are being used and um, appreciated by people out there and making money, hopefully. Um, I, I, I agree with that, but I think that there's a real, or not I, that I agree or disagree with that, but I think that there's a real kind of mismatch here in, in the, um, the message that we give to, uh, to people within uh, the tech business of, um, of failure and kind of like mm. not celebrating failure and you know as long as you're learning then you're doing a good job and you're kind of you're moving forward and um and then to kind of and then to kind of say well you know we'll take the successful people but mm-hmm. we won't take the people who have <laughs> who have learned and failed for for five years or whatever um and and I guess this is more of an observation than a question um I recently went to an event uh, where Marty Kagan was talking uh, and his view on uh, on hiring was hire competent people that aren't dickheads. And I was like, <laughs> this, this is great. This is like such a good kind of <laughs> uh, good sort of uh, set of advice. But um, do you think that people are kind of a, a looking you know, do you think that that's that's a better way to look at it rather than kind of like show me someone who's delivered everything? perfectly should people be just looking for competent people who aren't dickheads rather than uh the people who have a ton of successes under their belt well i'm never one to disagree with marty so i think he put it it perfectly you know i I think there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there i think you know your your question around kind of you know success or or failure you know i I believe that ultimately, you know, you evaluate a PM based on, you know, the success or failure of their product. And I think, you know, we, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that, you know, ultimately that's why we exist. That's what we're for. And so, you know, can you, you know, fail as a PM? Absolutely. Like we do all the time. And, you know, can you be, can you be a successful PM and if they had a failing product? Yeah, that's also possible. So I think we, we don't want to over kind of connect the two and say, you know, the only great PMs are the ones who've worked on these products because they were the most successful and any, you know, it, it's much more nuanced than that. And so I think from a hiring perspective, and, and this is actually something that I, I do spend some time with on the companies is, you know, let's move beyond what your initial impulse is, is to say, you know, I want a PM from Facebook or Google or, you know, like that's kind of where everybody always starts. And it's like, okay, that, that, there's some great PMs there, but that's not the limited. So first of all, there's way fewer of those than I think everybody wants, but also like let's, there's plenty of successful PMs in lots and lots of different places and lots of companies that don't 
you know, fall in those kind of immediate lists. And, you know, similar to the way you might say, well, I'm only going to hire, you know, an MIT or a Stanford grad. And you're like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of really awesome people that didn't go to one of those two schools. And if you're only eliminating to them, you know, then, then you're missing out on a huge por portion of the universe. And so I think your definition of success is, um, has to be much more nuanced than just, you know, these one or two or three companies, you know, so I, I would say, you know, that's, that's one part of it. And, and I think we, we need to look at what is the individual's PM's contribution to that success. And, and this, in some ways, goes to advice that I give to, you know, new college grads and, and early career PMs when they're asking me, you know, where should I go to work is, you know, as a PM, like you're, you're going to get a disproportionate amount of credit for having been part of a successful company than you deserve. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you're, you're also going to get disproportionate blame, you know, when things go wrong and that's just the reality of the job, but you can actually use it to your advantage earlier in your career. Uh, you know, if you have the choice, you know, right out of college of going to, you know, a, a really high growth company that, you know, has already demonstrated that it's, uh, successful that still has a lot of headroom. You know, if you could go join Slack, you know, or or Stripe, you know, or Wealthfront, um, or you could go to your friend's Y Combinator startup. You know, there's a there's a, a a tiny chance that that Y Combinator startup might be the next Facebook, but but there's a way bigger chance that you know Slack and Stripe and you know Medium and Wealthfront will continue to be great, successful, high growth companies that later in your career um, will benefit you from having been associated with those brands. Right. And, <laughs> and you can kind of, you can, you know, do you deserve credit because Slack is successful if you join them tomorrow? No, <laughs> probably not that, not that much, but you're going to get a disproportionate amount of credit for that later in your, in, in your career. Um, and you're going to learn a lot because you have a successful company, you have a successful product that's growing fast. The company is big enough that there are great people there that you can learn from and grow from, but it's not yet a hundred thousand person company. So you're going to have a huge opportunity to continue to shape the direction of that. And so, you know, that kind of flips your question a little bit on the, you know, Hey, isn't it kind of unfair to only think about PMs who've had success is, you know, let's, how do you hack that earlier in your career to make sure that you, 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 you get that. Um, and then I think the other part that comes from that too is, you know, when you're part of a company like that, at that stage, you're going to, you're going to develop a tremendous network that later in your career is going to be, you know, a huge benefit to you. And, you know, I, I, I got lucky by being a part of some successful companies early in my career and the people that I, I worked with and I knew, and I know and continue to work with are the venture capitalists that, that we work with, the CEOs of Silicon Valley companies, like that network was really beneficial because that success kind of, you know, begat for, further success. And then that network ended up being beneficial. So it's kind of a circuitous answer to your, to your, to your question. But, you know, I, I'd say it goes back to, let's make sure we know exactly what we want when we're hiring somebody, right. Is, is what are the, what are the skills that we need? And then when we talk about like, what have they done before and what have they shipped and what have they contributed? Let's make sure we're really evaluating, you know, the, the, the success that they're truly, you know, connected to and truly accountable for. And it may be that you find somebody from a company that you feel, you know, maybe on the surface, you're like, oh, that wasn't really a successful company. They went under or they, 
they, you know, they kind of fell apart. But when I tease apart what that person did and what their contributions were there, um, I find that as a PM, they were actually more successful and had shipped more things than this other PM at this other company that, you know, on the surface looks like it's been a huge smashing success. Mm. I don't know. I was at Amazon in the early days, but as an editor rather than a product manager, and I feel terribly saddened that all the success shouldn't be credited. (laughs) 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 Clearly, clearly it was only. Um, So uh, sometimes uh, you must have gone into situations where you've seen companies that had overhired on products. So how did you diagnose that that was the problem? And what what do you do at that point? Yeah, well, oftentimes it's it's not a, a very difficult diagnosis because I'll I'll you know I'll say well tell me about the company oh we're you know we're fifty people and um, you know we've grown we we you know we've grown we were thirty this time last year and you know we've we've got uh, you know fifteen engineers and eight product managers You're like what hold up wait but back up eight product <laughs> so it's usually pretty pretty obvious. Um, you know, usually my second question is, well, what, what are those product people doing? And, and, you know, maybe some, you know, their, the definition of their, that role isn't what I would necessarily consider full product management or they're kind of have more of an overlapping role. Um, but what do you do with it? It's, it's, it's messy. It's, it's messy because, you know, usually they're looking to try to hire in more senior people to try to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that just, you know, compounds the problem um, because now you're needing to, you know, you, you, you really can't solve organizational problems by hiring more people. But but that's kind of the first impulse, particularly when the team you might have might be more junior and, and, and you're realizing that a lot of people are in too deep or just don't have the experience they need. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a messy problem to solve. It's even more messy if you've been handing out, you know, inflated titles along the way. Um, you know, so if you, you know, you've hired a bunch of product directors and then two VPs of product, and then you realize, well, really, you know, we, those, we need somebody even more senior on top of them. And do you take those titles away? Do you hire an SVP of product now? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, (laughs) you get this, this title inflation, um, which, which oftentimes, you know, is, you know, I should pause on that is it's a very easy trap to fall into when you're in a startup. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is you're competing for talent and you're competing for talent. And one of the things you can give away for free is a title. You know, you often can't compete on comp. You, you often can't compete on quality of life and, you know, benefits and all the other things you're trying to compete with the Googles and, you know, the Amazons and the Facebooks of the world, but titles are free. So you can, you know, you can say, well, you know, this person's a, a senior product manager at, at Facebook. And, you know, I, I bet they'll come here if we, given the a VP title. Um, but that just creates all sorts of problems down the road. So, so that, that is, you know, oftentimes there's a kind of an organizational kind of structural question that comes with this around, you know, are people properly leveled? And now if they aren't, what do we do about that? Um, you know, sometimes these problems are, are, are easily fixable with just organ, organizing people in the right way and, and, you know, kind of setting the right expectations. Sometimes they are fixable by hiring, the right person to kind of lead the team. Um, you know, oftentimes they require, you know, changes They require people leaving and, um, you know, people being asked to leave or people being fired or people, you know, moving on on their own accord. Um, you know, my, my hope in, and, and certainly 
you know, these are more the exceptions than the rule. My hope is that, you know, I can help them avoid these types of problems as opposed to deal with them. And, and so that's why that, you know, when do we hire the first PM? How do, what, what is the role even mean here? How do we structure it? What's the right timing? How many should we have? How should, how should they work with engineering? How should they work with design? You know, it's, the, those are the, the points at which you can make sure you avoid some of these problems. And it's, um, you know, it's kind of like, do, do you, you know, do you need surgery or, you know, can I help you with your wellness program so that you, you don't need surgery? I have just, um, just one more question for you. Um, as a person who's worked with lots of PMs in, uh, you know, uh, across lots of different businesses, do you have like a particular piece of advice um, in, in like finding the right company or finding the right role? Uh, advice for PMs looking to, to find a role? Yeah. 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 I would say, you know, sit back and, and think about what really matters to you long-term. So I, I have a piece of advice that I give to folks, which is, you know, in 10 years, or maybe it's 20 years, or maybe it's five, you know, kind of depending on where you are in your career, you know, what, what is your resume look like? Like, what, what do you want to be? You know, is there, are you, do you want to start your own company? Do you want to be a CEO? Do you want to be a general manager at a Fortune 500 company? Like what, you know, what is your ultimate goal? What are you aiming toward? And then how does your next step fit into that? Um, you know, is it, I, well, I want to be a, you know, I want to start my own company. And so really what I think I need is startup experience because I've only been at big companies. Okay. Well, you know, your next, your next role should help, help give you that experience that you feel like you need to kind of, you know, c collect, you know, the right skill sets you need for where you're ultimately going to go. Um, and I think that PMs, because, you know, I think partially because we're, we're in such high demand. Um, and so oftentimes opportunities are coming to us, uh, as opposed to us kind of sitting down and saying, let me go interview. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to think holistically because you get that call and you're like, wow, that looks awesome. Uh, and I think also because we're product people and, you know, it's easy to fall in love with the product or to get excited about the space or to get excited about a problem or, you know, particular type of user. Or we go, oh, that's a product that I want and use. I love it is, is you have to be a little bit dispassionate and sit back and say, what is, you know, this is a puzzle piece that's fitting into something larger or something longer term. What is it accomplishing for me? Um, and if you, you have to think about it that way, you can't, you know, look at just how much am I going to get paid? And, you know, what's my, you know, if you live here in Northern California, what's my commute going to be like? Maybe the deciding factor, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you have to kind of step back and say, okay, how is this fitting into what I want to accomplish long-term? Um, and then, you know, do your, do your due diligence. You know, I, I, I think especially if, you know, an opportunity comes to you, uh, you know, if it looks interesting enough, like, you know, go talk to some other company, you know, go to interview some other places, you know, if you don't just take that one that comes along because it's exciting and compelling, um, you know, step back and, and actually look around and see what else might be out there. Uh, and, you know, what is it about that role that really excites you? Are there other roles? Are there other companies? Are there other you know, products that, that may even, you know, may even have more of that, um, that you want. I think that's really good advice. And, um, I would love to carry on talking to you more. I feel like there's a part two 
coming in a few weeks time um, because I still have so many questions and I'm sure Randy probably does uh, as well um, but I feel we shouldn't take any more of your time but thank you so much Ken it was really really great talking to you Ken thank you great thanks for having me It's really interesting to hear from someone who has insight across so many great companies. Lots of wise words from Ken. Yeah, and hopefully we'll do more of that uh, some other time with him. Next week, we bring it back to Europe and get to chat with Petra Villa from Germany. Um, So Petra is organizer of Mind the Product Engage in Hamburg. She's an independent product consultant and the man himself, Marty Kagan, tweeted this week to say she was an exceptional discovery coach and very much worth listening to. She's also made an exceptionally cool deck of cards and we'll tell you more about that next week. So now I've brought my dad to the playground as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please remember to give us a rating and subscribe if you want to hear more. Ooh, that was a deep callback. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I thought I'd get that in there. (laughs) We'd love to know what you think. Please tweet us at mtppod. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Check out your local product tank today. Find it at mindtheproduct.com slash product tank. And here's global product tank manager, Mark Abraham, to tell us more about what product tank is. Product tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven by and for product managers. Whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers, the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips. Have you seen a great talk? Nominate a future guest on the podcast channel on the Mind the Product Slack. You can find that at mindtheproduct.slack.com. If you want to learn more about product management, take a look at mindtheproduct.com slash training to see what courses are on near you. Emily Tate is our executive producer. Our theme music comes from the German band POW, featuring Arnie Kittler of Product Tank Hamburg. And that's goodbye from Randy and Lily. See you next time.